0: Three, two, one, go! We're live. This is Retrace. We're gonna talk about big questions again. Talk about big questions about strategic intelligence because we're living in their world. We're living in their world. Ah, oh, man! I don't even know where to start. Like, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a. How do you? How are you supposed to think about this when we know the secrets that we know? How are you supposed to think about the world that you? The picture that you have in your mind of the world. This is, there's, so much, there's so much here. This is segment number 53 for November 17th, 2022. It's 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Retraces about what's going on out there. Nature, which is not effing around. Artificial intelligence, which is new. Natural intelligence, which is old. Strategic intelligence, which is in between. And humanity, which is the best part. That's what retraces about those things. Keep them in mind. Keep them firmly in mind. Don't worry, we'll remind you. What outsiders living in a world of intelligence can ask themselves? What can outsiders, such as ourselves, ask about the world of intelligence in which we live? We're living in the world of intelligence organizations, in the, in the world that they've created— not just them. I mean, We're also living in nature's world. We're also living in sort of an accidental world. But those things are easy to remember. It's easy to remember you live in the natural world when the wind blows through the trees. It's easy to remember the accidents, the contingencies of history. Oh, that phrase is at the beginning of Norbert Wiener's um, uh, Human Use of Human Beings. And then there's a chapter that they took out of that book after it got published. The voices of rigidity. Never mind. We're not going to talk about any of that, even though it's so germane and pertinent. Listen, we know about the NSA. We know about the church committee, MKUltra, and all the crazy bad stuff that the intelligence agencies were doing and and was discovered and disclosed in 1975. And it all came down to like one little contingency of history that we found out about that. We know about the Manhattan Project. Kind of secret, wasn't it? We know about Area 51. Kind of secret, wasn't it? The NSA was around for like two decades before anybody even knew what it was. Like, even the people who live nearby the the properties, we get that from James Bamford's 1982 book. 1982. 40 years ago. He was basically writing almost Snowden-level documents. I mean, he is such a good reporter. The point is, secrets can be kept. They have been kept. And it's the intelligence organizations, loosely defined. We can talk about secret societies. We can talk about Quigley's Milner, Rhodes Milner Group. Maybe you think that was a big thing. Maybe you don't. But that sort of thing, we would count that as an intelligence organization. But the easy ones are the ones who keep massive records and they're affiliated with governments. They have huge budgets, but they eventually get caught in whatever they do, it seems, because they keep those records and there are so many people involved. Secrets can be kept, but... Some secrets haven't been kept, but they've shown us what secrets have been kept. We're the outsiders. So what can we see? Questions we can ask ourselves as outsiders. What can we see? Well, look, I don't even know where to start with that, except here, where I'm about to start with it, which is observation selection effects. This is a phrase that we get from the subtitle of a Nick Bostrom early book, maybe his first book, Anthropic Bias. It's basically the idea that like, and he comes at it from a sort of a cosmology and philosophy of science um, motivation. So we'll, we'll set him aside and just take his phrase and take his example, which he got from Arthur Eddington, the fish in the net, I'll tell you in a second. It's the idea that you, if you evaluate a, a, a set of things, you know, if you're and you think you've got the whole picture and the, and the, the way that you gathered up your set of things, that you think is the whole picture, if that way was flawed, or I would add, if the thing is trying to evade you gathering the whole of it up, whatever conclusions you draw on the basis of that basic set, that first set, that prior, in a sense, are going to be hopelessly biased. Not hopelessly, but biased by that selection effect. You selected this as your, as your set of things, that, as your sample that you think represents the real world, so the way Arthur Eddington puts it, and then Bostrom borrows his analogy, um, is it's like imagine if a scientist is trying to understand the fish in a pond, and he or she uses a fishnet to gather up as many you know hundreds of fish. Not all the fish. We never we can never gather up all the fish. We can never ob- observe all the stars in the universe. We can never observe observe all the atoms or molecules in the earth. We just grab a sample and then we study the sample, and then we extrapolate. We reason inductively. We assume the constancy of nature. Okay, fair enough. There are some philosophical weak points in that methodology, but set those aside, it's probably right. We just don't know exactly how to explain it formally. But what if the way of gathering up our sample is flawed? What if your fishnet has two-inch holes in it, and you gather up all these 2.1 Inch fish and larger, and then start making statements about what the sizes of the fish are in that pond. Well, all the fish that we've gathered up are 2.1 inches or longer. Therefore, this pond has fishes 2.1 inches and longer. And then, of course, you look at your fish net. The holes are bigger than than the, any fish that's smaller than 2.1 inches is going to escape the two-inch holes in your fish net. So you don't know what's in the pond overall. You don't have a whole picture. You have a partial picture. You have a, you have a selection bias. You have a selection effect that's, that's biasing your, your view of things. That's what we have vis-a-vis the intelligence organizations, vis-a-vis the strategic intelligence that's happened on this planet. This is not hypothetical. Okay, We know that the NSA exists now that it has successfully kept massive secrets including the existence the, the fact of its own existence for literally decades. Similarly, the church committee revealed that the other intelligence agencies including the NSA but also the other ones were doing like evil stuff, experiments on people, torturing them to test mind control drugs. Evil stuff. Not the whole agency, not the people you know if you're down there in Langley or Anywhere in the in the intelligence community, but some people some people who want to be doing that sort of thing I found it's like the way that you know like like you have to look out for child predators in i got I don't know if is YouTube gonna ban certain phrases I don't know see they're in charge here you're there's a selection effect on what we're what we can talk about here. you can't hear. Most of it is good. Like, you don't want to hear all these randos talking about garbage. But sometimes it doesn't work the way you think. You have to look out for child predators amongst coaches and after school and teachers and clergy. And these places where bad guys know that if they can get in that position, they can get to the, get to the bad doing. They know. It doesn't mean that the... It's like... You know, bad cops. A bad guy who wants power is going to know that if he can become a police officer, he's, you know, he's going to have more of an opportunity to exercise his badness than if he's just standing around or if he's an accountant. Depending on what kind of badness he wants to do. Accountants can do some pretty bad stuff, but not not like bad cops. Selection effects the intelligence agencies, have kept secrets. They continue to keep secrets. We don't like to think that some of them might be bad, but some of them might be bad. And even if the ones that we know about aren't doing it, even if the ones that are easy to focus on, like the NSA and the CIA and the DIA and the, the all the, the three-letter agencies that would, military intelligence, all of them, they, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of accountability. There are a lot of eyes on their budgets, more or less. I mean, it depends on who you count as eyes. Some people, these are, these are easy targets to inspect. They're, but they're not the only intelligence agencies. They're, they're private intelligence agencies. There are, you know, private for hire. And then you've got private, like, not even for hire. Like, these are just basically secret societies, right? We, we, it doesn't have to be some Alex Jones conspiracy theory. Uh, it just needs to be private individuals working together in a way that is effectively a conspiracy and then keeping secrets and then it could be for the better you know you can 't be sure what the world would look like without running an experiment either for for both and for both scenarios they on the one hand they do their bad stuff. or, or uh, Let's say on the one hand they conspire and you think, oh, it's not cool that they're conspiring, these people with power, blah, blah, blah. But you can't run a world experiment that says, let's see if they don't do that. You know, What if they save us from ourselves? What if they're the good guys? What if it's, it's, necessary, it's a necessary evil you know, sort of thing that's going on? Well, it doesn't matter because we can't see any of it because we don't have a fishnet that catches fish like that. These fish are either too small, they slip through our fingers, our net fingers, or maybe it's not an accident. Maybe it's not. It's not. We just didn't know to make the fish net smaller. These fish. <laughs> this is counterintelligence. These fish have evolved to escape that fish net. Major Murphy. We've talked in the past about Jacques Vallee's messengers of deception and the Major Murphy person who might be. Someone he made up, I don't think I believe him, but it doesn't matter. The idea is more important than whether or not someone actually said to him that the alien thing, the UFO thing, if it is what it seems to be, if it is a legit thing and not just a bunch of nonsense, is not a problem for scientists because scientists cannot pursue things that are trying to evade them. There's some, you know gorillas can try and evade you but scientists can keep up with things that are dumber than them they cannot keep up with things that are as smart or smarter than them but the people who can do that who can keep up are the intelligence organizations the government-oriented ones and whatever other ones exist now and depending on who we believe and how seriously we take which records in the past and certainly in the future so we have a selection bias Because the world that we see could possibly be severely warped by these entities which have had at various times a lot of freaking power. The NSA, the CIA, the Manhattan Project, which was – I think that was under the Department of Energy because it was atomic – I know it became under the Department of Energy. It might have been under it from the beginning, probably later. But anyway, I don't remember the hierarchy there. Area fifty-one, which was CIA at first, I think, but then it became, like other like the military intelligence started to use it. This is not trivial. I mean, just because what you know about seems in retrospect trivial, these spy planes or. It shouldn't seem trivial, but, like, the NSA's vacuuming up of global communications and storing them at that mountain. What's the mountain? I forget the mountain. They store it in a mountain facility. Everything's in mountains in Nevada or in the southwest where nobody looks. I've been out there, man. It's, it's exactly how you picture it. It's a moonscape where they put that stuff. I've driven by it. Like, I was on my way to something else. Like, I didn't, but I went kind of out of my way to drive by it. There's nothing to see. You can see more on Google Earth than you can see from the road. What about progress? Are they making progress on anything? Whoever the they is, whatever the thing could be, is that progress cumulative? Or do they just keep resetting the, the level at the end of the day? Do they power down all of their success and reboot it from scratch? Progress is cumulative. We've seen that in in human technology. We've seen that in evolution, by natural selection. We don't wake up every day starting over in the universe. We are better off standing on the shoulders of... You don't have to stand on the shoulders of giants. You just have to stand on a giant pile of people standing on shoulders. We're all doing it. I'm the result of evolution, you are too, unless you're religious and then, you know, you believe it a little bit differently. But you still have to admit, progress is cumulative. Technology alone proves this. Power begets power. If you have some power, it's easy to get some more. Money begets money. Doesn't always, doesn't guarantee it. You could be born into a bunch of money. You know, three generations, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves is what the rich people say. You start out with nothing. In one generation, you build it. The second generation sort of tries to maintain it, and the third kid's a shithead. (laughs) And ruins it, blows it all. As it should be. Control begets control. The test of power is control. That's uh, Weizenbaum, we talked about that. The test of power is control. The test of absolute power is absolute control. Cumulative. It builds on, it can build on itself. All of these things, this idea... What about cumulative progress? This question that we should be constantly asking ourselves in the context of this selected effect world that we live in where we can't really know for sure what is being affected by things about which we know not. On top of that, what about cumulative progress? There's a phrase going around in the conspiracy theory community and it's been going around for a while, the the, the term is breakaway civilization. This is what makes that idea so... the logic of the breakaway civilization so seductive. That we all know intuitively, like, if you have a huge advantage at year 1950, and nobody takes it from you, and nothing happens to thwart your work on, and profit from, and progress in the context of said advantage, you're probably going to have more of that advantage by now. just seems almost inevitable. What about cumulative progress? What can't we see? What sort of observation selection effects are constantly shaping our view of what's going on out there? And what about cumulative progress amidst or amongst those things those intelligent things, those intelligent forces that we can't see. What about superpowers in the mix? This has already happened. Electricity is a superpower. Electricity is a superpower. You take it for granted now. But just think, before the advent of electricity, I mean, this is just wizard stuff. Like, it wasn't even part of alchemy that I can remember. Any visions of lightning from your fingers sort of power. Emperor and Star Wars, the original series, the original trilogy, sort of power is what electricity is. Now, when it's running along a copper wire, you can't see anything. It doesn't arc. But do anything that you're not supposed to do with electricity, and it arcs. And it is really lightning. We're controlling lightning, something that has terrorized humanity since the beginning and presumably animals I don't know what it's like to be an animal seeing a lightning strike but it can't be good now look at it, it's everywhere it's it's literally all around me lightning in a bottle lightning in a plastic tube lightning in an insulated uh, traveling along an insul- insulated wire sometimes going back and forth alternating current sometimes just going one way, direct to current depending on our purposes. Forget about outside the building. Forget about how much lightning comes in on that wire. Direct current. Very high voltage. Gets stepped down by transformers. That's a superpower. Nukes. Nuclear weapons, nuclear power plants are superpowers. So we've talked about the things we can't see, that the secrets that we know are at least possible to keep, and there are and probably equivalents being kept now, and there will be in the future. We've talked about the cumulative progress. Power begets power, leverage begets leverage, control begets control. And the logic of a breakaway civilization is kinda sound. It's not per. I mean, you're never gonna get you're never gonna be able to convince somebody who's just determined to, to sort of debunk that idea and it should be debunked I mean it's kind of nuts it's like really we're gonna there's gonna be a whole breakaway civilization under, under our noses well that's how I would do it if I were in charge and I had such designs on the world priority number one this cannot end up in the New York Times and if any part of it does we have to cover it in shit so that it's too stinky for everybody to inspect that's how I would do it, but a civilization is a big thing. It needs an engine of growth, and needs a lot of other things. Talk to Carol Quigley about that. He does a taxonomy the historian Carol Quigley. But then superpowers, I mean, come on, the, the people, the 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 uh, the Rothschild network banking network family in Europe in mid19th century mostly, right? They might have started in the 18th, 1700s but they are mostly 1800s, I think. They're on horses. They don't have lightning. They don't have nukes. They don't have AI. They're killing it with these horses, man. They just, quick messages, quick, quick, quick. We talked about the Rothschilds, I think in segment one. It was their information network that was at least crucial. I don't know. Who knows what were the most important ingredient? It might have been just their sheer motivation or their, you know, the cleverness, their innate cleverness. But definitely, their communications network was top notch, according to Ferguson, Neil Ferguson, Square in the Tower, and he's written like a two volume history of, of the Rothschilds. But there are no superpowers. It's just horses and writing and fire. Let's say fire was a superpower, but everybody had it. Everybody had horses. Everybody had writing. Everybody had fire. That we didn't even have, we didn't even have, like, the Industrial Revolution, the steam engine, none of this stuff. And now, look at us. Now, in the in this world, this selection effect world that might be hiding a lot of secrets from us, and where power might be accumulating, and leverage might be accumulating, and the logic of a breakaway civilization is at least worth considering maybe not worrying about today, it might be too early for us, but if it keeps accumulating for 50 more years with, with the superpowers we already know about, electricity, nuclear power. I mean, like even, you know, genetic therapeutics and stuff, you know, immunities maybe. And then AI, we're adding AI to this situation and we're running around like, You know, maybe we can make people click on ads or maybe we can identify, you know, maybe we can solve the protein folding problem, but everybody knows about it and it's all out in the open. But then there's already this cumulative possibility outside of what we think is the whole picture. DeepMind, open AI are introducing publicly what we know about. They're introducing these brilliant breakthroughs publicly. We don't know everything they're doing, but I can't imagine they are hiding much. But I can definitely just because there's so much uh, there's there's so much focus on them, you know. They don't and you don't make progress in science if you're hiding a bunch of stuff. They can't do it. They can't take. You need to be constantly challenging each other and talking to the smartest people in your field. And so that's what they're doing. They're they're it's probably above board. There's not some secret room at these places. I don't think I wouldn't imagine, but you know who knows? You can always have a secret room uh, where the realness is happening. It's not that's not but there could definitely be secret rooms that are watching and quickly availing themselves of what these entities, DeepMind, OpenAI, to some extent others, other AI groups are producing. Who's in a position to take action? You, me? Yeah, I can go do I have access to the internet like everyone else who would want to use AlphaFold or AlphaCode or AlphaZero. Or Do- Dolly 2. Or GPT-3. These All these advanced AI systems. Cutting edge, state of the art. But look. It's just me here. And I'm on YouTube. And I'm podcasting. I don't exactly have the resources that it would take to avail myself, my grand designs. And I could, I could come up with some grand designs, I'm telling you. I'm good at that. Too good at that. But there are people who have the time, the money, the knowledge, the intent, the means, the motive, the opportunity, and maybe have accumulated power or leverage or control, and maybe have taken advantage of the selection effect of our fishnet that does not catch them. You have to at least think about it. You also have to be not an idiot and collapse into the, (gasps) because it's possible it must be happening. (sighs) Don't associate yourself with me. You are an idiot. If you can't resist collapsing into conspiracy theory, the pejorative kind, not the literal meaning of that term, which should be fairly neutral, but the... (laughs) I heard somebody say on the internet, therefore it must be true, kind of conspiracy theory. Sorry, I'm sure you're a nice person, but you're an idiot, and stay away from me. Because that's, mm -mm, that's more that stink. Get it off, get it off. Reputational destruction, immolation, as it should be. Because people can't trust you if you think that, if your garbage is that thinking... (laughs) <laughs> if your garbage is that thinking, or your thinking is that garbage, either one, we, we, we can't deal with you, man. You got to clean it up, your mess. You got to clean it up. Your neurons, they're all misconfigured. Your weights are all wrong. Your wiring together and firing together are all wrong. You need to stop it. Take stock. Take a break. Turn off the internet. Go in the woods. Remind yourself that reality is constantly telling you about itself. But we can't go the other way either. It's all impossible because... Because what? So stupid. Science, uh, scientists and rational people who say things are impossible, a priori... I mean... You can, you can prove possibility. You can't prove impossibility. You can't prove a negative. There's always a possibility. That there's something you don't know. Or there's some thing that's happened that you didn't realize... Or something you're misinterpreting. Your model of the world is... It works, but it's not... But it's not. it doesn't have everything it needs to be tested to have the best fidelity to reality. There's stuff we can't see. And there's the possibility of cumulative progress behind what we can't see. And now we're introducing superpowers into that secrecy. Into that possibility of secrecy tomorrow we'll talk about some implications of that and some end games that might be relevant maybe we're starting to have an end game here by the way it's really cool but i'm not ready to talk about it one thing on yesterday's segment i did some mental math for you i didn't want to embarrass you and get the right answer because I would have intimidated you by my skill and swiftness at mental calculation. So I got the wrong answer. I said, this podcast thing has been incarnated in various ways for 10 years. And then I said, no, 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 it's almost 13 years. Okay. So what I did was sort of like a mental math error. I added one to the 12 instead of, my 10, which is why I jumped from 10 to 13. It's 11 years. Late 2011 to now is 11 years, not 13 years. But let me tell you why that's okay. I'm going to read a little quote to you. In the little evidence we have of his youthful characteristics, there there are, oh, geez, let's start that again. In the little evidence we have of his youthful characteristics, there are no signs of any pronounced facility in computation. You think he's talking about me, but he's not talking about me. And indeed, if he ever was an infant prodigy, his later life reveals clearly that his, that his arithmetical gifts soon degenerated to the level of no more than average competence. He's not talking about me, I promise. The mistakes which occur in his lengthy calculations of hyperbola areas are damning evidence against the myth of Newton's, i.e. Isaac Newton's, prodigious facility in numerical calculation. Lengthy calculations appear frequently in his later scientific papers, and not infrequently, they too contain small numerical errors. So, anytime you make a mental math mistake, do what I do, and remember that passage. Isaac Newton wasn't good at arithmetic either. He was really good at geometry, and he was good enough at arithmetic. This has been Retrace segment number 53. All references will be in the PDF notes at retrace.com, R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E dot com. Next segment's tomorrow, 11pm, 8pm Pacific. That's 4 a.m. in London, 12 noon in Beijing, 3 p.m. in Sydney. And we are signing off. We're going to do one more tomorrow. Implications and end games. Signing off.